Welcome to Church Burks and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Where do you go when you get in trouble? I mean, real trouble. Since this is Church Hurts and... You might be trying to outthink me and are guessing I'm about ready to launch into the availability of the God of the universe in prayer, but not today. Today, I'm asking this in a really tactile, visceral way. I mean, the kind of trouble where you may be standing alongside the road with a policeman telling you to show your hands, your heart's beating fast, your mouth wants to protest your innocence, but you aren't allowed to talk. Turn around, put your hands behind your back. I find it interesting how many hot topics today end up in the legal arena. Race, are blacks being treated right by police and in the courts? Legal. Religion, do governors have the right to limit church attendance and not protest? Legal. Politics, should the president nominate a Supreme Court justice during an election season? Legal. Somehow the law and lawyers just keep getting dragged into the discussion. Many people are not aware that historically theology and the law were sister disciplines. If that seems confusing to you, go back and try to read a theology textbook from the 17th century. Each word is carefully parsed and selected, closely analyzed for accurate meaning. Any good explanation of the gospel is always in the context of the Old Testament Torah or law. Paul's epistle to the Romans explains that quite well. Do you understand why a sculpture of Moses holding two tablets is centered above the portico on the east side of the Supreme Court? Legal details can be confusing, but one should have no doubt that the big laws, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, weren't made up by our founders. Learning to respect other people and get along in society has been a challenge in the human race as long as it has existed. So... Today, we're not turning to a theologian, but an attorney. He's not uniquely spiritual or church qualified. In fact, he's one of those attorneys you hope you'll never need, a criminal defense attorney. He's argued over seven cases where the prosecution was seeking the death penalty. Murderers, rapists, thieves, or those at least who were accused of such, have sought out this man in their moment of desperation. Let me bring him in. 1978 student body president of Westminster College in New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, William Diffender for attorney at law. Bet you'd never been introduced that way. No, it's a first. <laughs> John, how are you? I'm good, Diff. Um, good to I see you, man. It's good to see you. And I don't mean to start out insulting or to get boring. But we have to qualify you as something other than a sleazebag ambulance chaser. I don't chase ambulances, John. That, that's those, those are those personal injury lawyers that chase the ambulances. 
But what's the purpose of what you do? What is the purpose of what I do? Um, the purpose of what I do is to ensure that uh, any citizen accused of a crime is afforded due process um, and is defended as zealously. And quite frankly, I, I love it. I mean, I would argue uh, more eloquently than you just did. <laughs> and, that, well, and it doesn't, isn't what you do really at the foundation and core of our law. I mean, we're talking John Adams. We're talking. We're talking the really to defend rights is is at the core of having rights, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, when you you if anyone would experience uh, cases that I've had where my clients are truly one hundred percent innocent, uh, they would appreciate um, what we do. And so many people that we find, for example, picking jurors. Uh, lay people that have no no knowledge or involvement in the system at all only see the headlines and the news uh, of killings or of rapes or whatever have no idea that people are actually innocent. Uh, people that uh, I find that people that are so critical of defense attorneys, if you will, uh, turn out to be the toughest clients because um, you know they expect more for themselves. Uh, it, it's 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 really been interesting what what, what you see here, but uh, I can tell everybody. Um, that uh, thank God for the Constitution, and and more importantly than anything else, thank God for the jury system, um, because it just is a a buffer to corruption, if you will. To be able to get twelve cross section of uh, a citizen base that we get, I, I've learned over the thirty five years I've been doing this is so critical in what separates us from the world. Give me a perspective, though, because. You know, while I introduced you as student body president when you were in college, um, you know, that was a long time ago. You know, you're an old curmudgeon like I am. But if one was to see your client list, this is not the cleanest group in the world. This is not the country club crowd. Give me an idea. Who are the kind of people that you defend? Well, I, I, I just defended a couple of years ago that was covered by with Dateline, uh, a doctor, a renowned doctor at the University of Pittsburgh, who was uh, at the lead and uh, of research for muscular, dystro or muscular uh, dystrophy, ALS, a uh, very prominent doctor, uh, was accused of killing his wife with cyanide. And it was probably, it was clearly the, the highest publicized case that I've been involved in, although I've been involved in many mass and, killers. And you, uh, and, you, and you lost that case. I'm, I'm impressed that did. you brought it up. I mean, it's, you know, but it gives I mean, you the diversity. You deal a lot with uh, uh, drugs, don't you? Our our uh, uh, most common client is the inner city gang. I don't gangs is overstated, but um, African Americans that are involved in um, very serious drug dealing, shootings, homicides, probably is I would say probably around sixty percent of our business of our of our clientele. So you could go from the prominent doctor all the way to. You know, a homeless person who's, you know, caught with drugs. I mean, it's it's sex crimes, computer internet, sex crimes, child pornography, uh, and the like. So I, I, mean, I want to get into some stories. But before I do it, from what I can tell, the biggest difficulty the average person has in understanding what you do is to distinguish between the moral responsibility of the prosecutor and the moral responsibility of the defense attorney. And maybe moral, I'm emphasizing too much, but they're fundamentally different jobs, aren't they? 
They're totally different jobs, and, and it's and it's actually mandated by our code of ethics, uh, both from the prosecution. Uh, they have their code, and their code is to seek justice, not to win cases. And our code is to defend our client zealously. So there's an enormous difference. As a matter of fact, I just had a case where uh, I interrupted the hearing because I was so furious and I confronted the DA in front of the court, in front of the pub, in front of the audience that you are totally violating your policy. You know my client didn't do this, yet you are arguing that he did. Uh, the judge threw the case out, but um, I was uh, so incensed by that, I actually went and copied their code, and, and cynically, I was going to blow it up and uh, tape it on the wall in front of their desks because um, uh, the prosecutors, many prosecutors, have, have lost the concept uh, of what their role in this criminal justice system is. Uh, our role, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's it, it's the, the 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 collision is when you say morality, and what we do, and obviously the question we're asked all the time, you know, how can you defend these guys? Or do these do these guys tell you they did it? I mean, do they, you know, and if they do, and you know they're guilty, how can you defend them? The answer to that is very simple. Uh, if we start distinguishing between who qualifies to get uh, to receive due process and who doesn't, it's a slippery slope that it would be disastrous. Number one. Number two. What everyone has to understand is probably 97 to 98 percent of all criminal cases are pled, are worked out and resolved, uh, resolving in some type of guilty plea, some type, some type of plea agreement where. Our role, and many times I just term it with my client, you know, knowing the facts, for example, if there's a confession, video confession, if the evidence is overwhelming, we're now dealing with damage control. Um, the real dilemma happens when, because of your intricate investigation and conversations with your client, you know that he's guilty. Yet the prosecution doesn't have that uh, load of evidence. And uh, I can tell you a case that a death penalty case I was involved in before, uh, before, before you get into it let, let me let me just um put this little twist on because I may I really may be wrong here I don't know that much about the law but I have a bias that may surprise you I'm not a huge fan of district attorneys um, being elected um, it seems to me that they're often more seeking re-election um, by touting their conviction ratio than they are seeking justice. And if I was a defense attorney, it would drive me crazy. Am, am I missing something there? You're, you're not missing something, but my comeback to that is, in many respects, the political appointments are just as slanted. Mm. So when you have, if you don't have an election, John, like the federal judges are appointed. Now, look at the backroom deals that are made to appoint who they appoint, at least with a judge who's elected. Uh, in, in our common pleas here in, in Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, there's a, a every 10 years they have to be on the ballot for retention. Now, very few judges have not been retained, but there are examples of a few. We are right now, uh, we have a judge who's been taken off of the bench because of racial comments that he's made and other uh, actions he's done uh, in the courtroom. And it's my belief that he's going to be removed from the bench. So, you know, in terms of what should we do, if I honestly felt that politics wouldn't be involved in the appointment, that sincere viewing of, of, of talent, of knowledge, of the Constitution, of qualifications would, would rule, 
uh, I would agree with you that appointment would probably be better. I mean, that's why they that's why they give life terms. That's why they give life terms. So there's no you have no interest and you're not concerned about reelection. And God, we know what that means with what's going on today in, in our politics. Isn't that dynamic, though? I think dealing, though, with prosecutors who seem to be seeking prosecution to have good numbers for reelection. Isn't that the ultimate challenge or is, is it really not that common? Am I maybe jaded in that perspective? Because no, I want to see. It's, them- listen, listen, all prosecutors, except Philadelphia, uh, that the, 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 the liberal guys promoting and, and uh, uh, contributing to very liberal uh, individuals running for uh, the, the, the district attorney's office. But other than that, every district attorney that I've known in my years until recently with this weird stuff that's going on today, everyone runs on law and order. Every judge runs on law and order. Lock them up. Uh, that's that's the popular thing, and that's what gets the votes. Um, but are those people, when they become elected, is that really what they are? I, I would tell you that I, I don't see an enormous uh, judges that have run on you know, law and order and, 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 and lock them up or district attorneys. Once they get into office, you see everything, you know, in other words, it's not, it's not, it's not consistent. You know, there's very good judges and there's, there's some very, very good prosecutors and they're all different. We practice in at least five, six counties. We do a lot of federal cases. I I did a federal case in uh, Wyoming. I mean, and, and the judge out there absolutely loved incidentally, but, um, it, it really, I don't think you can come up with a set formula like that and, and, and with a wide brush say prosecutors are specifically out to just get a, a big amount of convictions, you know, a large amount of convictions, if you will. All right. So, that, so there I'm, a, I'm appearing to be the more radical, um, but you sound like a conservative and you're a defense attorney. Let me just um, get an idea. You've brought up the race thing because it's just raging in the news these days and has been for a while. Mm -hmm. So I just want to come at it from this. But how many uh, if you had a percentage of clients, what would you say? What's your racial composition of your clients? Would you say 80 percent black? The racial composition is probably I would say 70 percent black and 70 percent African-American. So you've spent most of your life as a defense attorney and, you know, people in the black community in Pittsburgh. I, I'm very connected with the black community. I'm very close with the black community. And I and I and I am very uh, I feel very strongly to support the black community. My issues are what really works. And uh, I, I, I can't stand the nonsense that that's being but that's happening today because it's not what the problems are. And what what frustrates me and when you say I sound conservative is because uh, I would like nothing more. If I if I had uh, Bloomberg's money, I can tell you I wouldn't be practicing law and I'd be doing a hell of a lot for the black community. That would really make a difference. You know, uh, what 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 disturbs me is comments uh, of, uh, you know, a disproportionate amount of blacks are in jail and all, all this stuff. And we it's the laws. It's the laws. Um, what it is is the the way these kids uh, what they're what they're brought up in in, in the inner city uh, with the pathetic schools uh, with with not good parenting our parenting situations uh, with drugs all over the place and with the um, I mean the, the the drug issues unbelievable and it goes from the drug dealers to the gangs to the uh, this I mean uh, let's just take an example of uh, in, in the West Chicago 
were, were all were the, the leads of what the country in homicides. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't practice there, but it's a great example. You're a young kid there, and um, you have no. I mean, what, what, what are your where, where are you going? I mean, you, you know, uh, maybe one child will hear about a success story, but where there's hundreds or thousands that that never leave. What do we do to change that? And and that's where I'm, I'm very I feel very strongly about. That's the problem. If you would attend our arraignments uh, every day, they're all videoed. Um, there's probably 25 arrests every day, just ballpark. You're going to see 20 African-Americans and five Caucasians. If you're telling me that the police are seeing a crime committed by a Caucasian and just going, oh, well, that's a white guy. And then let's look for the black guy who's committing the crime. You are uh, in fantasy land. Um, you know, is when, it, is when that this young kid maybe who has nowhere to go. Is it maybe Pittsburgh, do you think, no. is more even in that? And it might I don't be buy that for a minute. No. No? Okay. All right. So you're saying that you don't you see know, the systemic my, aspect. My point, my point is this. If we're talking racism, I mean, we're, we're now opening up a huge can of worms right. here. Do police profile? Yes. Are there police officers that are racist? Yes. Keep in mind, John, my case yesterday, cross-examining this police officer. You ready for this? African-American client with two African-Americans in his rental car with New Jersey license plates is driving through New Kensington, right? The officer pulls him over. <laughs> it's just why? Because when he made the right turn into the sheets, which is a, a convenience store, a, a gas station convenience store, when he made the right turn into the convenience store, he turned his blinker on too late. <laughs> didn't turn it on soon enough. And and I, of course, I read the affidavit. I knew he said this, and then, you know, as the, the trial lawyer that I like to be, I went, officer, I've been doing this for 35 years, and I'm pretty familiar with the, the crimes code and the traffic code. I go, I have never had a case where my client was accused of not turning his signal on soon enough. <laughs> I go, how many times have you ever charged anybody with that and he froze and i said i'm gonna guess zero and if you say one or two i'm gonna want to see him and he went i can't remember i said of course it had nothing to do with the new jersey license plate and three african-americans in the car so in terms of race or profiling john it is incredibly prevalent i would tell you though in in and this is at risk of but it's just the truth you know, when, when you see an out-of-state plate, when you see it in New Kensington in a high crime area, I mean, these officers are saying, you know, like, like this sort of fits, this sort of fits the, the thing that I'm going to, and by the way, they did find drugs. You know what I mean? And, and is it profiling? Yes. Is the stop going to be bad? You know, it was held for court because suppression is not relevant at the preliminary hearing. But I can assure you, uh, even a very, very, very pro-police conservative judge is going to have a hell of a time reconciling not turning his turn signal on soon enough. So anyway, I mean, that, that, that stuff is, is clearly prevalent. And, and understand this, the criminal lawyers, we're the ones that attack this stuff. I mean, we're the ones that file to win. And by the way, I, you know, what turns, what, what, what turns or, or what I like so much about this, and as you know, I'm very competitive running for student government president. That's never changed. I hate to lose. Uh, and I'm very, very competitive in, in, in my trial work. And that's my point is we are constantly attacking racial profiling in our cases. And, and we live it, you know, and, and not only that, the, the, your listeners have to understand, 
it's usually the son who's in jail. I have the mom or the dad or the aunt or the grandmother and the sisters all in my office paying me. They become part of my family. I'm really representing, and, and it's really, I'm representing the mom. Her son is in trouble. Can you help him? And uh, I can't tell you how many hugs that go on in my office and, and in court. And when there's a verdict outside, hugs. I can't tell you. I mean, uh, there's nothing more fun than going into an inner city barbecue. It's the greatest time ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's... It, okay, let's, let's get even ahead. more. Let's get even more personal. So that's been your life. You, you mean, faded. You, I lost you on that. What'd you say? Uh, I said, that's been your life. Um, you've been doing this, and yet you got um, a phone call from a relative of yours in the midst of all of this said you were a great example of white privilege. I can't imagine oh, yeah. how that felt. And I, I want you to address it more from the perspective of a lot of people, a lot of parents have experienced that. You know, how did you handle it? Did you, you know, how, I mean, really what went on inside of you though? Aren't you an example still of white well, privilege? Yeah. I, um, first of all, I don't know what white privilege is. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm looking for my response cause I texted him back. And if I read it to you, you would see exactly how I handled it. Uh, but part of it was, um, what I just went with through with you with, uh, Oh, here it is. Well, my, my nephew's name was James. James, you don't know me at all. I think I've been with the kid other than Thanksgiving, uh, maybe five or six other times. They are from, they live in Maryland. Uh, you don't know me at all other than the few times we get together. I would honestly tell you to do your research and know your audience before you send something like that to me. To date, our firm has represented over 27,000 clients. 85% is African-American. My mother's best friend in life was African-American. We called her Aunt Susie. And my best friend all through high school, Bruce Hackley, was African-American. So do the math, approximately 22,950 criminal cases involving a black person where the police have arrested him. Let me just see here. Then I go into, we filed suppression motions, et cetera, et cetera. I said, how dare you insinuate that somehow I am white privileged or, or racist, because there was other comments he made to me about being racial. I mean, the fact that I speak and have my opinions, we all want the same end. I just frankly think that, that the means that you people are trying to get there is ridiculous, and it's not based on truth. The only way you're going to get and make a meaningful impact here is if we all recognize the truth. You know, I mean, there are there are a ton of black kids in the inner city committing crimes, period. That's reality. They're not doing that in the rich areas. There are not white kids in the wealthy areas committing crimes. Now, there's a ton of reasons for this, and I acknowledge that. But the reality, don't start telling me that's because police are arresting more. Well, they're arresting more blacks because more blacks, at least in my area, are committing the crimes. So let's get to why. Why are they doing that? And let's get. And, and this goes to where I'm telling you, John, about the inner city. There's nowhere for these kids to go. They, they, there's, they need a. And I, if I, if I was Bloomberg, there would be YMCA's rather than spending a, a millions on convicts to register to vote in Florida. 
I would be contributing to YMCA's. I would have all the local colleges give college credit for their for their students to go into these YMCA's and teach computer, teach the violin, teach music, teach art, have a place for these kids to go and reach out to the churches to get fathers to come in and mentor these kids and give them an option and have the powerment zones that, that that Trump's even talking about, where we train and, and you know teach these people to seek careers and be professionals and get into the system and enjoy the fruits of this wonderful country. That's okay, what's going to eliminate. Let me remind you of something you said about thirty years ago when you first were dealing with oh, us, and you said, and you said, you know what? And I happened to be in your office, and you had a client come in, a, a young kid, some drug charges, and. And you just said, I said, explain it to me. And you said, Johnny, you said, if you're a kid, you have a choice of going down to that corner and making a drug deal. We're going to work at McDonald's for eight hours. The one takes five minutes. The other is eight hours. And you said, I know if I was faced with that, I know which choice I would have made. If I was raised in Hazelwood, Johnny, I'd be in jail. I'd have been the biggest drug dealer there. And that goes to where you have that little kid, eight, nine years old, 10 years old. By the way, swimming pools are closed. I mean, it's just, it's a horrible environment to raise a child. And it's not the parents' fault either. I mean, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that can be done by us. Uh, that should be being done because it would have a true impact. But that kid, all of a sudden, he sees the black BMW drive by with, with smoked out windows and it's a gorgeous car and these guys are making money and hey, you know, go run this over here and I'll give you a hundred bucks. Uh, and all of a sudden, um, in many ways, and I've said this time and time again to my clients, well, and I'll just give you the example of prize fighter McGirt uh, out of Long Island, a buddy of mine represented him. And a question was raised like, why are the African men not in boxing? And there's so many kids in the gyms in boxing have declined that, you know, the kids going out for it. He goes, drugs. They're all selling drugs. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more money. You know, it used to be a, you know, a lot of these kids would box to get out of the ghetto. Uh, and now because drug dealing is so easy and so prevalent and so lucrative that I'd be doing the same thing. I mean, what, what, what's the kid? Assume the kids at a, at a horrible high school and assume he doesn't have a father because his father's in jail or his father, you know, whatever. What chance does this kid have? You know, and why not take the chance of making a million, and, you know, and, and, and from that perspective? And I'll tell you something else that I think is a horrible thing that has never been recognized. I would love to take about five or six of my favorite rap songs and spell the lyrics out where it is. Uh, we don't uh, we don't testify. There ain't no 35s. Well, 35s are motions to uh, give a client a better sentence because they cooperated with the police. In other words, the whole song's about snitching. And uh, it says, we don't talk, we use guns. And I'd like to just play these words out because my, when I, here's where I heard this song. I was moving my daughter's car and it was on one of her CDs because she listens to rap music. And I asked my daughter, I said, did you listen to the words of this? And of course, she has no idea what the words are, what they mean. I said, well, let me tell you what they mean. And then I see the videos of this stuff where there's a, a guy with his with his boys, his entourage in a limo with five pounds of gold on him and eight women just drooling all over him and lyrics about oral sex and lyrics about sex and lyrics about I'll meet you at the club. These are the lyrics and the things that these young kids are looking up to. 
Where is the responsibility here? Where's Oprah with this is outrageous? Where, where, where are the leaders about this stuff, which are the roots? These kids come in. You know how many kids I ask? This is the most amazing thing. I have a young kid, yeah, white or black, from, from the inner city. I always ask this because I love doing it. Where do you see yourself in a year? They look at me like a deer in headlights. Where do you see yourself in three years? Like, where do you want to be in five years? And I actually say this. This is a great story. Where do you see yourself? To, what are you doing today? And they look at me like they, they, they honestly can't answer it. And one client, this was hilarious. His, his grandmother and mother were with me. And he said, well, I want to get I'm going to get my GED. I said, really? I said, how long have you been trying to get your GED? And he talked about, you know, I don't know. I said, well, what do you have to do? He goes, well, I got to get a book. I go, well, what book? Preparation, you know, obviously to get the GED. I said, well, where? how much is the book? He goes, it's like 25. I gave the kid 35 bucks. I sent him down to Barnes & Noble. I go, go, go get the book. He st- his grandmother was laughing. I looked at him. I said, go get the book. We're waiting for The kid went and got the book and came back about a half hour later. I said, was that hard? It was that hard? I mean, the lack of goals, the lack of guidance, the lack of this stuff is phenomenal. That's okay, wait. the problem that we should be talking about. We're going to have to go. And I, lo- I really yeah. love that. I think if someone's listening, there's a lot of we there's some confusing stuff going on here because it's not a neat and clean thing. But you could tell us hmm. uh, there's some other stories that I'd like to get into. But we got to wrap up in a minute. Leave us this. I can't imagine how many times you've wanted to say to your client, I don't want to see you again. I don't want you to come back as my client. No more drugs. Quit it. How many, <laughs> how many times have you pointed people in the right direction and they listened to you? Tell me one who actually listened to you, will you? Tell us a good story. Well, I, uh, a very large, substantial drug dealer, I said, uh, I said, look, I'm going to give you a motivational speech. And it's not, believe me, it's not, I'm not a motivational speaker. But I said, get into the trades. And I, I told him a story about a kid in high school who would never was a good student, Mount Lebanon student, by the way, John. And um, uh, he was uh, never college bound. He went and got his uh, plumbing, uh, went to vocational school and got his plumbing certificate, whatever, and uh, worked for a stall plumbing a, a company, worked his way up, uh, got his own tools, got his own truck, went on his own. And now he just, I say he built a $800,000 home up in a beautiful area. And he has a business, 10 trucks, et cetera. And uh, I said it in much more detail and much more uh, with much more enthusiasm. And and this guy today, uh, and I've given this motivational speech to, oh, I don't know, hundreds of kids. Uh, and a few have listened. And um, this guy, Mr. Beasley, has a huge plumbing practice, and I'm so proud of him. So it does happen. They it can't, does. It, it can't it, believe me, it, there's, the, there's no option for these kids, John. No. There's no, and let me say this, real option. Well, Div, I, I, I want to thank you. I wish we could just go on. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you back, but let's wrap up um, right. for a moment. Um, do you know what a paraclete is? I do it's not. Easy, it's easy to break down that word, get the meaning from paraclete. the Greek. Para, which means alongside, and Colleen, which means to call. A paraclete is one who's called alongside, one who walks with you. Okay. In the time of Jesus, it was the family attorney. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and uh, it was a tense day before his arrest. Crucifixion was about to come. His poll ratings were down. Both the religious and political establishment were finding him very inconvenient. Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was to come, and he said, I will pray the Father, 
and he shall give you another comforter that he may be with you forever. Other translations say companion, counselor, helper, advocate, friend. If you've gone to church for very long, you know, Jesus was talking about sending the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a counselor. It was another counselor, Jesus being the first. But you know what the word is now, paraclete. Who are you going to vote for? Black Lives Matter. Do you own white privilege? Do you think there is systemic racism beneath all of this controversy in our culture today? All the insecurity of the and anxiety beneath the hostile words and fearful predictions, people have a far more fundamental question. It's a question that Diff has received from a lot of hurting people all his life. Will you be my paraclete? Are you willing to walk beside me? Will you be one who can be translated as a companion, counselor, helper, advocate, and friend? I had a friend in college like that. Our friendships turned people's heads. We hung out in different crowds. He was the head of the Animal House fraternity, and I was a leader in the Christian fellowship. How did that work? We argued about the existence of God, politics, and other fun things. He was a friend. I'm glad you got to meet him today. And that is worth a thought. This is John Bash for Church Earth Am. Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Earth Am. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is the shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchfirstand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, church hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end and enjoy God today, won't you?